Welcome to Breaking Form, a podcast of poetry and culture. I'm Aaron Smith. And I am James Allen Hall. For those listening for the first time, we do this show in segments. We do literary games. We revisit books that we love. We gossip. We do. We interview. We shade. We laugh. And we are not for everyone. Aaron, welcome. I'm really happy and excited to share this episode with everyone. I have not laughed. We say this a lot, but I have to say in this episode, we laugh so hard at one of the games we play. When you were editing it, you texted me and said, I could pee. Yeah, I literally sat there and just laughed when I'm doing it. And I was like, oh my gosh, and trying to find things to cut to bring you the juiciest stuff. But I think we have a really fun one as we continue in our Pride Month episodes. This is part two of our interview with David Trinidad. And this one, we actually get David to play a couple games with us as we like to do. Mm-hmm. And a quick refresher, if you didn't get to listen to Monday, we recommend it highly. He talks about a great poem, but David is the author of more than 20 books of poetry. Um, these are collaborations and edited volumes. They include Swinging on a Star and Notes on a Past Life and Dear Prudence, New and Selected Poems. He also edited Punk Rock is Cool for the End of the World, Poems and Notebooks of Ed Smith, and A Fast Life, The Collected Poems of Tim Dugos. And he's a professor of poetry at Columbia College in Chicago. And um, if you're someone who pees their pants when they laugh, we recommend you go get some tissues. Yeah, and- no, get a pee pad. You're going to need it. Yes. Yeah. And David's uh, most recent book is Digging to Wonderland, which really confronts issues of desire and memory. So you're going to hear some more desire here, and you'll definitely hear the word boy sort of referred to um, as guys of age consenting. It's gay parlance. That's right. So again, don't come for us. Unless we send for you. And and it'll be self-addressed stamped envelope. (laughs) Remember those? <laughs> Let's be sent you in some metal. Bye. Well, yeah, yeah, but but you know, and, and this is something I've been thinking about too. But it it's almost like that. Well, this is Gypsy Rose Lee. Like the striptease is is more exciting than the actual act, and or the suggestion is more uh, erotic than. Um, than the um the real thing and but you know joe brainerd knew that right all those drawings of boys in underwear mm-hmm. like he knew and 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 having i mean he was older a bit older than i was but you know that same kind of upbringing of you, there wasn't nudity to be seen mm-hmm. so he understood the eroticism of the um the suggestion right um and I, I, I have that too, where um, sometimes images of men in underwear is more sexy than naked. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So you, oh, totally. hundred percent. It's like, I think I could like not even have sex with them, just undress them, see what's going on and then send them home. I'd read more poems if that was the case. Too. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you'd read more poems? I mean, you know, if it wasn't such a commitment that you had to make them breakfast in the morning. <laughs> Why are they staying all night? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I had a teacher once who made us all go around the room in a workshop and say we had to choose between 
desire or memory as our sort of impetus for writing, um, the naming the muse, so to speak. And I could not believe that it was easy for anybody to do that. I, I still don't, I don't remember what I chose. I, I know I said, I said one or the other, but I was thinking in preparation for this interview of asking you that question, David, if, is it memory and desire together as a sort of cathexis? I think it is because so, and believe me, I've spent years in therapy on this, but you know, the, it's what, you know, as a gay kid, everything I desired was, was a no, no, you know, beginning with girl toys and um, fairy tales and all of it, you know, and then, and then to go from that to secretly understanding that I was gay at that time, which was just so frightening and um, forbidden. So everything was all that, all that desire, right. Was, um, was stifled or hidden. And so um, looking back, so much of what I've written, even beginning when I was young, right, is about that kind of backward look um, towards desire. I don't know. There is mingled. I, I agree. It's mingled for me. You know, they're, they're twisted together. Um, is, it, is this making any sense? Mm-hmm. It 100% makes sense. Yeah, totally. When I, that's what I think about when I think about your work, how, how clearly the path is starts memory but ends towards desire or is desire and ends in memory. Um, it's just, it's hard to know which one is first for you, which impulse is first. It's hard. And I think that's kind of a gay thing. Aaron, is that true for you too? Or is it memory? I feel like I think that memory is a kind of desire. Mm. So it's either to to reconfigure the story, remember the story, fight the story. It's just a desire. So it's it's not always desire in the sense that we think of like, you know, eroticism or 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 lust or you know, one of those things. But yeah, I think memory is is a form of desire in writing, at least for me. And David, one thing you said and we've talked and you were thinking you were going to try to write about porn. And I think you said maybe you'd written one, but you said you thought it was difficult. And I was sort of curious about, you know, everyone on this, in this interview, we've all written about sexuality and we've all written explicitly. So what is it that makes writing about porn difficult? Because you're not trying to write pornographic poetry. You're trying to write poetry about porn. Well, as I was writing, I, I realized like, well... It's not erotica, which is always bad, right? Mm-hmm. His throbbing man meat, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, <laughs> say it again, but wait till he takes a drink, David. <laughs> that mic almost got covered. <laughs> um, and it's not theory, right? Which is dull, right? Um, and totally non sexy. But is, is it that I wanted? It's almost like, I realized, oh, well, this isn't sexy. And it's the mystery thing again. It's like, because I was, I, I, I spent a lot of time writing about this 70s porn star named Roger, simply Roger, and um, who had a big cock. And, um, <laughs> I'm going to call this episode simply Roger with the big cock. <laughs> 
and I, I went to great lengths to describe these images of him. And then I, I it was like, whatever's mysterious about desire wasn't there. You know, the, it, it's not like I wanted it. Maybe I didn't, I, I wanted it to be sexy or feel sexy, but uh, without being erotica, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that just seemed, it just seemed to be, uh, to escape me. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm, and then of course I'm dealing with language and and the way I'm describing things and revising and um, you know finding the perfect words to describe the images and um, which kind of takes the 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 fun out of it, you know. Um, and I don't know, it got me thinking to maybe porn is meant to be this just that private thing, you know, for for arousal and um and nothing else i don't know i don't know would it be uh, maybe your experience with porn like is there like i'm wondering like is it like i don't know i guess i'm getting at like documenting porn or writing about porn because you like it or is it writing in a different context like writing about your memory of the first time you saw roger with the big cock well both or all yeah, yeah. Um, I would want it all. Yeah, it was sort of like, and then I was went after describing the images, it went into where I first saw them in a Blue Boy magazine in the mid 70s. And and then what I found out about him online. And, you know, I kind of felt, you know, I wrote that poem, Ode to Dick Fisk, which kind of did the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like describe him what it was like to masturbate, looking at pictures of him in the 70s, finding out online what happened to him and he had a, he, he died tragically right and young so um i feel i guess i feel like oh i've already done this you know what um, i'm hearing though is the same impulse for the porn stars as for bobby yes yes i hear just a, a there's a slight difference because you knew bobby you knew he had a life outside and porn stars don't right like their only life for us is in those videos. And we know so much about who we are based on who they are and what they're doing and what they're allowing to like film around them. Right. But with and, Bobby, I felt I, there, I really didn't know his life. Hmm. But you knew him in person though. Right. And I think it's the opposite for porn. Like we don't imagine that they have real oh, I do. I'm more interested really? in what happens off screen. Like I imagine them showing up that day if they felt nervous. I imagine if everything. they have a tuna sandwich. I imagine sandwich. they're. I, I don't. I'm not I interested in their, if they're bottoming. I'm not interested in what they ate. <laughs> well. <laughs> so David, when I was reading the poem Bobby. I saw how you talked about listening to the bands from like the 60s and 70s. And I texted you and I'm like, what's your favorite band from the 70s, your rock band? And you wrote back and said, does Blondie count? And I said, absolutely. So I was being sneaky and I was trying to come up with a literary game based on Blondie song titles. Oh my God. So I'm going to read a song title to you and turn it into a question and you're going to answer and you'll, you'll see in a second what I mean. Say, so here's an example. So okay. call me 
who's a poet that you would always take a call from? And it could be living or dead. So, but you also can't repeat your answers. So don't say, don't, don't leave with Plath. You might regret it. Okay. (laughs) By the way, I'm just a little jealous that you get to play this game. I love Debbie Harry. So I'm, I'm going to start with like an easy one. So, okay. Okay. All right. So here's an easy one. Their song fun. What's a poet that you think is just so fun. You love their work or, or yeah, you just love the poet. Elaine Equi. Excellent. We did a whole show, um, Elaine Equi or Elaine from Seinfeld. So we're fans <laughs> as well. Okay. The next one, the tide is high. What is a poem that overwhelms you? However you want to define being overwhelmed. Poem that overwhelms me. Or poet or poet. Oh. In general. Like Frank O'Hara's Second Avenue. Yeah. I, I say that just because it's a poem I I've oft I've many times tried to like. Mm-hmm. But it it it's almost like getting hit by a big tidal wave, you know, okay. and yeah, it knocks you over and yeah, I just find it overwhelming and hard to um, connect with. So Blondie's song, I Want to Drag You Around. So it, it, you could actually like answer it like, I just like to drag you around because I'm sick of you. Or what's a book or a poet that you always want to carry with you mm-hmm. that if you had to take it with you, I want to drag you around. Um, like a book I wouldn't want to be without. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say one I, I recently finished reading, which was the pillow book of, of say, Shonagon. Um, I just loved that book. And I thought I, I just always want this nearby, you know, to reach for. The uh, next one, this will be, this is the one you can decide if you want to go shady or not. We love shade, but we also okay. respect our guest boundaries. Will anything happen? Do you ever read a poem where you're like, is anything ever going to happen in this poem? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. Um, well, um, I guess because I can't, I find him impossible to read. I guess I would say um, Zukovsky. Mm. It, and part of the reason is it feels like nothing's happening. Yeah. Um, that I can grab at or hold on to or um, experience maybe because it's, it's, it feels too intellectualized, you know? Um, But then there are a lot of poets who could fit that bill. So (laughs) I don't mean to pick on poor dead Zukovsky. He's going to write an angry letter. I can just see it. (laughs) Well, that's all he did. I think. So this is, I think an easier one. Living in the real world, which poets just so ground in the real world, you feel like their poems just grapple with like the reality of of living and being in the world. Well, I guess you know the a poet I love, James Schuyler, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I get that from his poems, uh, a real sense of of him in the world and and um, drawing me into that world. Heart of Glass, who's the poet whose work shatters you? I mean, I part of me wants to say Anne Sexton, but she could probably be any number of these, right? Yeah. Answer mm. for any number I think that's a great answer, though. That's that's exactly what I was thinking, too, honestly. Well, she has that great quote. I I forget who said it, but, you know, a book should act as the axe that 
um, shatters the the frozen sea in us is, is mm-hmm. a quote she used in one of her books. And um, so when you say, I think you said shattered, right? Mm-hmm. Heart of glass. And part of that, I mean, I think now, I mean, having loved and read her my entire life, um, I feel like part of what I find shattering is her um, her inability to transcend her um, her atheism, mm. right? And so, um, and I recently found a line in in, in one of her books. Um, the quote is, it's just one sentence from 1963. This loneliness is just an exile from God. Mm. And I, I read that. I thought that Sexton. Yeah. That's, that's her in a nutshell. And this is all in the poems. And mm-hmm. she so much wanted to believe in God and could. So um, it was kind of an, a lifelong torment for her um, that she didn't have any i guess spiritual belief right yeah. um, so but, but and that's not uncommon with the poets of her generation of that time either you know a lot of poet those poets struggled with 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 that he's a poet that you think died young stayed pretty plath plath yeah i mean i i would feel um like it's a betrayal. It would be a betrayal to pick someone else. Mm-hmm. You know? um, Death has perfected her. Poets and porn. Yates. Well, he would definitely be the nerd with those okay. glasses. Okay. So he would be the nerd, older nerd, seduced by a young student, maybe. Mm. So an older professor type. In tweeds and those glasses, seduced by, um, you know, a youngster. Well, not a jock, more like um, just a boyish type, hmm. like Tyler Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll link to him on the in the show notes. Is that but, really a porn star's name? I, I think. <laughs> I love it. Not Swift. But sweet, David's uh, lady, yeah, I know. Yeah, Tyler uh, Sweet, mm-hmm. uh, I just fact checked. Thank God. Love All it. right, so T.S. Eliot. Mm. God, I had to throw a Libra in there since you have a Libra rising, David. It's like corpse porn. <laughs> he's, just, he's so dead. <laughs> like an eth- like a patient etherized <laughs> upon a table. Exactly. He gets fucked while having Very surgery. Medical scenarios. Yeah. Sorry, David. I need to hop in on your your question. So, well, I think what would happen was he would be the principal who would walk in on Yates and the boy. Oh, and then and threaten to tell. Right, and there'd be some sort of three way. Collapse <laughs> into a three way. <laughs> what about Hart Crane? God, I don't I don't even know what he looks like well enough to um so glory hall. Oh no no yeah with sailors sailors and glory sailors. Hall. Yeah right perfect yeah all that semen <laughs> <laughs> um Whitman oh the grandfather type there's a lot of grandfather sex going on in gay porn, right? Oh, he would be the grandfather in the trailer park. Um, and he'd have tattoos, mm. you know. Um, 
tell me more. <laughs> no, he got tattoos of like Abraham Lincoln and stuff, and uh, <laughs> on his arms. What about O'Hara? I don't know. I kind of see him in a locker room. I do, like, but with many other men. <laughs> <laughs> a whole New York school. <laughs> yeah, maybe he was a track. He ran track, maybe. Mm. You know, and somehow wound up in the middle of a bunch of football players. <laughs> <laughs> the way one does. <laughs> I remember that day. Gagged with a jog strap. Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> I do love the idea of Frank O'Hara in a jog strap. I think that's no like... gagged with a oh, <laughs> I like that even more. <laughs> I I always thought like the saddest life is like the woman who like plays the non-sexual roles in gay porn. Yes. But someone else told me like that's an ally. Like that's a total ally. And I was like, oh, it's just my own shame is casting that woman's life as sad. It's my own shame. I'm just gonna watch my husband as he gets fucked from behind the counter. Like while I'm cooking. Like while I'm cooking, yeah. someone's inside of him <laughs> in the other room. And I and I don't know. I mean, the real fantasy is somebody else is cooking for me too. What's weird for me is when drag queens are in porn, hanging out. That's the that's where I'm. That's where I draw the line. <laughs> Gosh, David Trinidad, I love you as a friend, but I love you as a poet, and I'm so glad that you came and and were on breaking form with James. It, this it's been a delight to hang right. out with you guys. Aaron Smith. James Allen Whore. <laughs> you, you always say my name. Right. Haven't we reclaimed the word whore on the podcast? I really you know, hope we I have. feel like at this point, it's like, you've been with us. You know we're raunchy. You know we celebrate like sexuality. And that's yeah, right. We yeah, yeah, yeah. Claim it and claim it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um. So there's a few things we have to maybe let our audience know about. So I just wanted to um, tell folks that... Um, David uh, mentions a a porn star named Dick Fisk. His real name was Richard or Frank Richard Fitz. Um, and he was a porn star with Surge Studios and Falcon Studios. He's, he started in like two iconic adult gay films called The Other Side of Aspen and um, Spokes. Yeah, we all I've never seen it, but I know about it. Everybody knows about the other side of Aspen. And there's like yeah. five parts. There's like five parts. Yes, it. it's yeah. it, it's and spokes too. apparently spawned many sequels, right? It became a whole series, I guess. But it's like it's like those driving fast movies, Fast and the Furious, the Fast and the Furious, which I've never seen, <laughs> oh, even though I the fuck. The fucked and the furious. <laughs> the, the fucked, fu- the furious fucking. Yes. So, yeah. Um. So those were the 1980s. Dick Fisk and his um, partner at the time died in a car accident on mm-hmm. Halloween in 1983. And at wow. the time, uh, Fisk was between films. He was working as a bartender in Atlanta. Oh. I know. David mentions an epigraph to um, Anne Sexton's All My Pretty Ones. And I just want to say that the whole epigraph is this. The books we need are the kind that act upon us like a misfortune, that make us suffer like the death of someone we love more than ourselves, that make us feel as though we were on the verge of suicide 
or lost in a forest remote from all human habitation, a book should serve as the axe for the frozen sea within us. And David got most of that right. There's just, he says shatter, right? The Mm. frozen sea within us because we planted that word in his brain and we're bad. I mean, as everyone knows, we're bad influences. We're bad girls. Yes. We we will drag you down into the gutter and maybe drown you. Yeah. Right. So watch out. David quotes a line of, of Sexton's um, saying this loneliness is just an exile from God. He just like spun that off the top of his head. I was obsessed with his discussion and, 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 thinking about how he thinks her not being able to come to terms with her atheism. I was, I have not stopped thinking about that. We recorded this interview in December. Same. It's June. And I'm still fucking thinking about that. Same. Insane. So that line is included in the poem letters to Dr. Y, which is published in a volume called words for Dr. Y that's Sexton's second posthumous collection. And the first in which she did not have any editorial say. Yeah. In the preface, her daughter, Linda Gray Sexton writes, the first section of this book, Letters to Dr. Y, written from 1960 to 1970, was originally a series of poems Anne wanted to include in her sixth volume, The Book of Folly. When friends and editors convinced her it did not belong there, she specifically reserved it for publication after her death. As far as I know, this is the only time she ever set work aside for such a purpose. Wow. That's not crazy. It's a fascinating. It's um, fascinating. It's also fascinating that um, Linda Gray Sexton referred to her mom as Anne. And that sentence, yeah. like, I don't know why that's weird to me, but anyway. Then also we should link to Joe Brainerd too. David mentions Joe Brainerd in the, and there's a new monograph coming out. I believe John Yao's editing. It's coming out oh, this fall. Wow. Yeah. So um, I'm not going to fact check that, but I believe it's true. Yeah. Um, I make reference to Sylvia Plath's poem, Edge, which starts off, the woman is perfected. Her dead body wears the smile of accomplishment. Um, And then David already fact-checked Tyler Sweet. Um, According to an interview he gave with thesword.com in 2020, Tyler Sweet identifies as a power, versatile bottom. Mm, And I love the sword. I mean, that's where we really go for all of our news. (laughs) I mean, I'll tell you, like... The things I have to look up in the name of work. <laughs> Happy Gay Pride Month! <laughs> shake your titties and shake your love. <laughs> I'm putting all of that in. <laughs> I'm shake your titties in. That's hysterical. All right, that's it, bitch. Love it. Hey, everyone. If you like today's breaking form, please go to the Apple Store and review us with five stars. Follow us on Instagram at BreakingFormPod, and be sure to check the show notes for references. And remember, we're not for everyone. The last of the words.